You are listening to Secret Handshake, the podcast covering the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. Coming up, spy number 54, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and the further adventures of the world's most iconic vampire. Featuring Max Schreck, Bela Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr., John Carradine, Christopher Lee, William Marshall, Klaus Kinski, Duncan Regeer, Gary Oldman, and Nick fucking Cage. Jacob. Yes. She is the Dunville's concubine! of Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me as always is Martin Carlson. Martin, I want to suck your blood. Happy spooky season. I feel like this is kind of... The unofficial, yeah. official announcement. Yeah, absolutely. Where we're just kicking it off with uh, all the Dracula movies. That's what we're doing. Just all of them. Because I guess we were inspired by the fact that we got two new Dracula movies this year. Uh, yeah, Renfield, which was earlier in the year. What was that, like March or April? Yeah, sometime. it was somewhere around there, yeah. And then Last Voyage of the Demeter, yep. which just came out and nobody watched, frankly. And honestly, we're recording today, and it just showed up on streaming. I think like today, three weeks after it was it yep. hit theaters, it's nobody's watched this movie. And we'll probably get to, to why here in a little bit, because we, we have... Say diverging opinions on both Renfield and yep. uh, Last Voyage, um, but beyond having two new Dracula movies, this is just a great impetus, more or less, to explore maybe the most iconic monster in the history of literature and cinema. I would say, I mean, next to the Frankenstein's monster, it's yeah, kind of like one of it's the neck two. and neck, both Universal both based on books from the 1800s that were huge successes. Um, it's, we talked kind of off mic about how cool it is to look at all these films similar to watching like slasher films and that there are recurring elements to the Dracula narrative. But, and even the ones that stretch pretty far still kind of come back to where it's safe I would say, um, but it's cool. Or at to least s- the essential elements of like Bram Stoker's original text. Like they're all kind of there in one way or another every time you watch these movies. Well, and what's interesting is, well, I mean, I had a really good time prepping for this episode because me too. it like forced forced me to rewatch a lot of Dracula, watch a few that I had not seen before. Um, 
and I've, I've always been a fan, and we'll have to find it for the website, but I dressed up as Dracula in third grade, and um, I was made fun of by this kid, Adam Browder. So in third grade, we would all, the, the third graders got to parade around the school to all the classrooms, and I was like their year to do it for Halloween. And uh, he called me some choice words, and it's a picture of me looking very dejected, but I'm fucking adorable in this. My mom handmade this Dracula outfit. I've always been a fan um, of the character, but... What I learned in my just research, I was rereading, um, I'll quote him, you know, David J. Skull, an amazing horror uh, historian, um, wrote a great book called The Monster Show. Also, he's on every single um, universal horror, like DVD or Blu-ray. He's the one who usually writes and directs or is the host of the behind the scenes. All the um, special features. Yeah, really like interesting dude and really knows his shit. And the book is great. It goes from like the Grand Guignol of France and like early theater stuff. Um, mostly into the modern age, uh, but he really focuses on Dracula's kind of his his specialty is that most of the things we know as Dracula come from the play and not from Bram Stoker's book. That, yeah. What do you mean? So Bram Stoker's, um, the, the elements, yes, but the Graham, Bram Stoker's play uh, book was much more like Bram Stoker's Dracula film that we have from Coppola. That what they turned it into, mostly for financial reasons for the first film, but also for stage, was it's a parlor drama. It's a parlor thriller. And so a lot of the kind of plotting of everything taking place at like Seward Sanitarium and everything, that comes from the play. And so also the look and the sexiness of Dracula, as Skull says, is not from the book. It's more Lugosi. And so it wasn't really until the play that it, he was shown to be a sex figure. Um, with the book, uh, Dracula is more of a revolting kind of old man. Um, and it's you see, obviously, the sexy side of that with the film that uh, Coppola did, but mostly in the original text, he's this gross monster. Well, he's um, basically like a Jewish stereotype. Like the He's like the original he, text is it's like Nosferatu. incredibly yeah. racist. And 100%. It's about the the fear of the encroaching Jew virus, yeah. essentially. It's like Lovecraft shit. Yeah, it's yeah. really fucked up. Um and it's not really touched upon in a lot of these movies. There's one in specific that we're gonna talk about that I think does take that element from the original novel and does something kind of creative with it. But would you say when you're talking about the play versus the book and how the play has kind of influenced our, our view of Dracula more than even Bram Stoker's original text, do you think that's kind of like how Brian De Palma re like totally owned Carrie to where nobody even thinks about Stephen King's original novel? Really? It all takes place in like this weird psychedelic hothouse chamber drama where it's all in like high school locker rooms or Carrie White's like mom's house or like the prom at the end to where like those are the elements we think when you go back and read King's original novel a lot like Bram Stoker's Dracula it's a epistolary right it's all done through letters recollections case files just in the same way that Stoker's is is that it's all you know letters from Lucy to Jonathan and the uh, ship's log of the the Demeter and Van Helsing's diaries and everything. And like Carrie was written much the same way. But if you asked the average person, like even if they were huge Stephen King fans, they would probably quote stuff that we recognize more from De Palma's movie than from King's actual book. Do you think that's fair? I think it's fair. Yeah. And the, and the Dracula thing I think specifically is the, the sexy thing. I think that they were, they were saying that, um, I think it was Hamilton Dean who 
was one of the fir- he wrote one of the first scripts, then also produced it. I'm not sure he wrote it, but he produced and kind of uh, was already doing a Frankenstein play and kind of was touring with that around England. Um, and then it was John Balderston who helped do the new version, like for I think London and then definitely Broadway. Um, and that's when they found Lugosi, and um, he was the one who really brought that like sexual side and the sexy side of the other. Right, it's the idea of like, ooh, he's the, he's mysterious, he's inscrutable, versus he's a gross stereotype. Um, the interesting thing I learned about Lugosi though is he spoke no English. He learned the part for Broadway phonetically. Even when he I was thought doing, that was debunked. I thought that was a myth. No, the, maybe for the film he knew it by then, but for the play, okay. but for the play he did not know. And there's like a lot of like interviews with people of like, yeah, if you fucked up his cue. He couldn't do it. It kind of there's a whole scene in Ed Wood the movie too, where like he knows how to go off the cues and he's memorizing for that live TV performance. And the guy improvs and he's just like fucking lost, you know. But it was there's a lot of interesting stuff. Also, I was reading that um, it's maybe apocryphal, but that uh, Stoker did not write all at least the version we see of Bram Stoker's Dracula is not his. Um, he uh, wrote the original idea and the original like basically a couple drafts. But the one that was released was he actually the tribute is to this man at the beginning who really cleaned it up. And a lot of people from the time said that guy really cleaned up what Stoker had done. And they also compare it to Stoker's other work, which is significantly worse. And the prose is worse that it's like he jumps in quality very quickly, similar to some of the tales from behind the scenes of 1931's Dracula about who actually directed that film. A lot of cool. Yeah, because cool stuff it's officially credited to Todd Browning, but by many accounts, he kind of abandoned the project and left it up to his cinematographer, who was Carl Freund. Yep. I wonder if I'm saying that correctly. Um, Freund, but like yeah. also, it wasn't supposed to be Lugosi at first. Like he, he wanted Conrad Veidt to be Dracula, and then he also wanted Lon Chaney Sr. Lon Chaney was going to do it, then and he, he was died. To, he died. He, he had a... Throat hemorrhage. Because, yeah, he, he was only like 32 or 33. He wasn't old. That's yeah, because he said, because well, he even said, he goes, I don't know if I'm the part's right for me. Also, I can't talk. So, even before he died, he was like you said, he was like, he could barely speak. And the talkies had just come in. Sure. You know, and so, yeah, I, that's the the stories were that that um, Browning wasn't around a lot. That David Manners, who plays Jonathan Harker, very famously said, he's like, I never worked with Browning. I worked with Carl Freund. Okay. Because I was never directed by Todd Brown. I'm like, okay. Um, some, and, then, and again, that was a film that, um, you know, that was the, le- you know, Junior Junior Lemley really wanted those films made more than his father. You know, that, that very famously, um, Carl Lemley Sr. was not a huge horror fan and definitely didn't want Frankenstein made. Like, that one was too beyond the pale. Sure. The idea of, like, digging up bodies. But it's so funny that Universal... You know, we're going to talk about two films from Universal this year. That Dracula is still owned in my heart by Universal. You know, oh, yeah. like, that all, makes it official. He'll always be one of the Universal monsters. Yeah, him, the Mummy, the Wolfman, creature. Frankenstein, the Creature from the Black Lagoon. Basically, all the monsters that show up in the Monster Squad. Yep. I don't even know how they pulled that one off and didn't get sued into oblivion. There's some crazy backstories about that. But like, yeah, Dracula is owned by universal. Like he will never leave that. I'll be this, do the same thing that you just said too, is I'll always associate that monster with that studio. Um, 
Now, the one thing I will say in terms of recognition, I think it's kind of crazy that Lugosi is the most iconic Dracula, like in terms of like, like if you were to ask a kid, yeah, what does Dracula sound like? They would go, I want to suck your blood when he didn't play him as much as like Christopher Lee or even I think John Carradine. Like, do you know how many times that Lugosi officially played Dracula? Twice. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was the, it was Dracula from 1931 and then it was Return of the Vampire, the movie that we saw at Exhumed a couple years ago on 16 or 35 millimeter, whatever that print was. That was like a very strange, unofficial Dracula that was shot in like post-war Europe and like the rubble and And everything. It was like Republic Pictures, I think. It's super interesting movie. Not necessarily one, because I think we watched it like five in the morning or whatever the fuck it was. I loved it I was delirious. Oh no, I had a lot of fun with it too, but it was not the ideal setting to really like, let's say, apply a whole lot of critical thinking to this movie. But yeah, you have Lugosi twice, and then you have Christopher Lee plays him, what, like five or six times? Well, the only official Lugosi time he did it, because technically he's a different character in Return of the Vampire. Right. Um, the official one is he's Dracula again in um, Avon Costello Meet Frankenstein. Those are the only two official times he oh, played, yeah, you're right. played the Count, because he also played a, um, also a Dracula kind of version uh, in Market of the Vampire, also Todd Browning, which is a remake of London by Midnight. Right. A famous lost film where actually uh, the vampires are the heroes. They're actually trying to out um, some kind of subterfuge. Um, it's a great fucking movie. I love Mark of the Vampire. Uh, and also like London After Midnight, if you can track it down, that Turner Classic Movies reconstruction yes, that yeah. they did not too long ago is pretty interesting too. Like obviously we'll never see it because I think the original prints were all lost in like a vault fire mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. So it's just one of those great, maybe the greatest in terms of like reputation, like lost silent film. I think like the number one for most definitely horror fans. It's (laughs) it's like talking, like people talk about that movie the same way that people talk about, you know, the day the clown cried with uh, Jerry Lewis is that it's just one of those things that like we know the myths about, but nobody's ever actually really seen it. Yeah. So son of Dracula with Lon Chaney Jr. playing, basically stepping into the role that his dad was originally supposed to inhabit. This movie's pretty good. Right. Like, I liked it a lot. It has a very kind of Val Luton vibe to it. Yeah, very cat people. Yeah. Yeah. And then I love the whole, like, Dracula on a Southern Plantation. What a strange fucking... It feels otherworldly. Like, you're just inside of this, like... Again, sort of like chamber piece where Dracula shows up and it just doesn't feel like he belongs, but that makes the movie that much more intriguing. Yeah, that was, I saw it randomly with my old roommate in Atlanta. We were watching TCM around Halloween and it came on. I said, oh, I've never seen that one. And I, it was the reason I like it so much is because of the setting. It's it's the, I always love any kind of swamp, you know, outside New Orleans, Spanish moss, um, really great. It's it's Robert Schoedmack who did The Killers, which is a great, yeah. great fucking movie. Also, I think his brother, Kurt, wrote it, who also wrote The Wolfman. So it's kind of good people behind it. It's it's very, has pretty classy, you know, as a lot of Universals were. Um, but I love, I love, yeah, like you said, the chamber drama. It kind of reminds me a lot of like Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Yeah. Like that kind of, like the Aldrich kind of films. Um, I just liked it as a little kind of interim film Um before we start talking about like Carradine or um, or about Lee. 
Yeah, let's just get it out of the way. House of Frankenstein, 1944, John Carradine's first appearance as Dracula. He's the worst Dracula. Like I like him in other shit. By a lot. I don't like him as Dracula. He, he is bad as Dracula. And it just, to be fair, it's sort of hard to judge him because the movie's almost like an anthology movie. And he's only in, like Dracula's only in like the first 20 minutes, let's say first segment. And then it keeps going on to like the Wolfman and Frankenstein and everything. And it's, it's a very strange star studded, almost like all monsters attack type movie that you can tell they're putting it together. And it's kind of cynically constructed to just draw audiences in based on like these iconic actors doing their iconic characters again despite the fact that none of the the narratives are that compelling it's it's interesting that i i'm a i'm not a fan of uh house of dracula or house of frankenstein both kind of group group pictures um for my understanding i may be speaking out of turn but like that uh the monsters didn't have quite the same power they had right. you know back in the 30s and early 40s you're in the um, jason takes manhattan kind of days yeah. of the universal monsters there they're trying but that's what that's i meant right. by the it, cynical yeah how it feels like they're just trying to hold on to anything or squeeze the last dollar out of these iconic figures that they have at their disposal 100% and the film that actually gets it right is avan costello meet frankenstein right um which is Top, I mean, in terms of horror comedy, it's top five for me. Um, I saw this movie when I was eight, um, right? And my cut, my second cousin's house. He was, oh, I think you might like this, and I was obsessed. And my parents, I made them buy me all the VHSs of all the Avon Costello meat movies. So Frankenstein, The Mummy, The Invisible Man, um, and then uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde with Boris Karloff, and. That's the one where Karloff hangs dong, right? Yeah, always big smoking dick. Massive and, fucking honker. Yeah, it's a real hentai kind of thing. Um, but he's... Uh, Frankenstein, I think, is one of the best of the kind of group movies of all the monsters. Because you have Wolfman, Lon, you have Lon Chaney Jr. back, you have Lugosi back after the failure of Carradine. You have Glenn Strange as the Frankenstein's monster because Karloff did, didn't want to do a comedy about... Um, about Frankenstein's monster. He thought it would kind of lose its prestige, but he did um, go out on the press tour and kind of support the film. But um, that movie is genuinely, it's a great horror plot, even if you don't have the jokes, but like the movie, the movie plot is not a comedy. It's a straight, awesome. They want to take uh, Lou Costello's (laughs) very docile brain and put it in Frankenstein monster's body because he's so, uh, He's so impressionable, and it's great because Lou Costello always plays like the dummy, um, but all these women are after him in the film. The main woman, who's actually like the doctor who's going to cut his brain out, is like obsessed with him, he thinks. And he goes, oh, these women all love me. They all want something from him. Like, one's a fucking insurance adjuster. It is really, really funny. Um, Lugosi's great in it. Also, a really, like, Lon Chaney Jr., one of his better performances of the Wolfman, like super sad. Definitely you could kind of see his alcoholism already starting to... Oh, yeah. take, take shape. Um, you see some of that in House of Frankenstein, too. Yeah, he was kind of rough at that point. Yeah. And then you get into the Christopher Lee years. We jump into to brilliant Technicolor with Horror of Dracula in 1958. And then he becomes 
for a whole new generation, basically the color generation. Yeah. The, the ones who grew up watching Hammer movies and everything. Like, he's the iconic Dracula. Yeah. You know, who, despite not owning as recognizable a speech pattern as Bella Lugosi, has probably the most intimidating presence of all the Draculas that are on screen. Like he's just a scary, like animalistic motherfucker. I think one of the coolest things they do in most of the films with him is his eyes go bloodshot when he turns yeah. in vampire form. I think it's really effective. It's and, really and scary. Freaky. I think he's, he's really imposing and he's tall as fuck too. Like he's just very like, cause I, one of the things I took note of with watching these films is there's a spectrum of scary to sexy for Dracula, it's always interesting to see yeah. which films, what kind of where it sits. I have this note written down too, to where the quality of your Dracula movie almost is completely dependent on how much sex is in it, because the more sex there is, the better the movie. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, I felt like Christopher Lee was kind of good at being in the middle. He's a very handsome British erudite man, but when he goes monstrous, he's scary. Um, I think Lugosi was more on the sex appeal side, at least in terms of, of that time. I think he is freaky in his own way, but... Well, it's not necessarily Dracula themselves. Like, the thing about the Hammer movies is that they all featured women with gigantic breasts that Dracula would bite into. And, like, for me, that's its own sort of, like, brand of sex appeal because, like... All the women in the Hammer movies are so fucking hot. And like Ingrid Pitt. Yeah, Jesus. Ingrid Pitt. When you get into like even the non Dracula stuff, like Twins of Evil, Countess Dracula, Countess Dracula, like all of those movies are just like Vampire Lovers. Yeah. Oh, man. Cinematic boner pills if you're like a huge <laughs> horror nerd. Well, they're, I agree, because there's, there's an era, I feel like, and we'll get to this with, I imagine, with Andy Warhol, but like where most of the Dracula films were very like Euro, Euro trash sex horror. And so we have, you know, obviously with just Franco basically like created an entire cottage industry out of it. Well, him. And then, and then in his own, his own way, um, Paul Nashi in Spain, you know, that a lot of his films were yeah. him playing. He's usually the monster, but he's a romantic hero at the same time who is a lost soul. And he bangs Everybody, big barrel-chested looking motherfucker. My my friend Mike and Natalie and I have this running joke about we're like, who's the sexiest man in the world? Well, obviously Paul Nashi, because in every film he wrote and directed most of them too. He's the hottest, most every time every woman is just like, did you see his eyes? Oh my god! I'm like, he's kind of weird looking. You know, he's got like a oh, Robert. A, he Mitchum looks like thing. a goon. <laughs> he's the complete goober. Um, but the Christopher Lee ones are fun too because like they really run the gamut of like. Plots like like we watched together. Taste the blood of Dracula, where he's barely in the movie. Yeah, um, but the idea is pretty interesting. Of these three, um, three kind of rich bored men who like they they're like married with kids. They basically go hang out with prostitutes and drink absinthe, and they wanted to new, they want to live forever. And this guy says, "Hey, like we can. I got the blood of Dracula. If we all drink it, we'll become immortal." And then shit just goes bad from there this sound sounds also like one shade removed from like a a todd phillips movie yeah where it's like bradley cooper just strides in and is like i got the blood of dracula you fucking gay boys <laughs> chug it down <laughs> no like but i watched mike tyson just there for no reason like, i ate his ear 
I bit that man. <laughs> but I watched uh, Dracula has Risen from the Grave uh, today, which was the year before Taste the Blood of Dracula. So this one's 69. Taste the Blood is 70. Um, the thing that becomes readily apparent as you get deeper and deeper into the Christopher Lee Draculas is that he didn't want to be there. <laughs> Like he clearly, his vibe is off. He, yeah. cl- he shows up for like four days of shooting and is like, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> Can I just go back to the globe theater and do like Hamlet? I don't care. I just don't want to say I am Dracula anymore. Like hiss at any hot women like this. I, I'm, I'm through with it, which brings me to count Dracula the Jess Franco movie from 1970, which is one of the last ones like Christopher Lee basically didn't want to be in it and bargained with Jess Franco was like, yeah, we'll do it as long as it's it's a straight adaptation of the book, I guess, which when you watch it, it's still a Jess Franco movie. And it's like super janky shot for like the price of a plate of paella, you know, like it's just (laughs) not, it's, it's not a great film, but when you watch Christopher Lee in it, it's interesting to compare and contrast his Dracula in the Jess Franco movie versus his Hammer Dracula because he's clearly just doing the Fu Manchu character for Jess Franco because Franco had just directed, I believe, two in a row right before they made Count Dracula together. They made The Blood of Fu Manchu and then The Castle of Fu Manchu in 68 and 69. And then they make Dracula in 1970. And the Dracula in Count Dracula straight up just has the Fu Manchu fucking like the mustache, mustache yeah, and everything. Gray hair slicked back. Gray and... hair slicked back. Looks totally different from, from the Hammer movies. And Christopher Lee is basically sleepwalking through this film. So it just, you can tell at a certain point, it's almost at like the tail end of when people are done playing Batman and they're like, just get me out of this fucking suit, man. Like, I just want to do anything else. Yeah. Or any of the Marvel shit where it's like, please yeah. don't let me do this again. Chris Evans yes. feels when he plays Captain America towards the end. It's just like, I, I don't want to come back for this. Could we find any way to kill me off? I don't care. But then we get into in the seventies for me personally, this is when Dracula becomes kind of the most interesting because it gets filtered through the lens of exploitation and Blackula is a movie I watched last night and you watched today. I walked in right before we <laughs> ate dinner and started recording. You were banging out Blackula and Blackula fucking awesome movie, like total AIP low budget, early seventies exploitation banger. That's the whole log line is like, what if Dracula, but black dude? Well, it's, I'd see, I hadn't seen it since I think high school and I popped it on. And one of the things we should say about some of these Dracula films, uh, both some of the universal stuff and also the hammer stuff is some of them are fucking slogs. Yeah. I mean, like as much as I love Dracula, some of it's just like, especially again, we're watching the same story again and there's, they don't bring anything new to it. Some of the universal ones are an hour and 10 minutes. They feel like five hours fucking long. I had to pause House of Frankenstein, like five different times, yeah. and that movie's like seventy-five minutes long. No, it's brutal, and like you and I love some good old shit, but like when the pacing's that bad. Um, but this movie really rips, um, and I love that. I love the idea of his character. It's not a lazy. It's not a lazy idea. It's the idea that he was this dignitary from Africa who comes in the 
um, 1800s to meet with Count Dracula. Uh, Count Dracula. And Dracula horribly offends him and is basically like, I want to sleep with your wife. Um, and then William Marshall. Well, he says something because this is the one of the most fascinating things about Blackula is like Blackula takes the thing we were talking about yeah. earlier, how Dracula was a racist caricature, essentially. And in this movie, it just makes him Dracula the just a straight up racist <laughs> yeah. where he basically doesn't just say, I want to sleep with your wife. He basically says, I want to make your wife like my house lady, you know, because he's defending the slave trade. He's like. He has this great fucking line where I even had to like rewind it to be like, seriously, Count Dracula, this is how you view the world. Or he was like, well, of course, slavery is negative from the slaves point of barbaric, view. Barbaric. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. barbaric. And you're like, well, yeah, of course it is. Absolutely. <laughs> but this movie then takes the, the basic structure of Dracula and just ships it to early seventies, Los Angeles to where, a black guy is cursed by Count Dracula to, to live forever and be a vampire. He comes over on a ship. He, you know, basically finds the the lost love of his life and pursues her through 70s Los Angeles. But then there's also a lot of, like, really weird character stuff in this that's, like, super fun. Not a Some, PC by yeah. any means, but, like, I love the fact that... Um, like two gay guys originally are basically buying up like Dracula's estate. Yeah. They're just collectors because they think it's cool because it would be campy. Yeah. I don't know. There, there's some strains of like really interesting shit like happening in this. And then also like the black detective. Yeah. Who's tracking down all of these murders and everything. And who like clearly is, is like challenging like the white authority system there and being like, you would care more if these victims of this guy that were showing up in these warehouses with, you know, bites on their neck were white. And it's like, I don't know. There's, there's something on this movie's mind beyond just like, what if Dracula, but black, you know, where it's actually like doing, you know, using exploitation cinema as like that vessel for social commentary, yeah. no matter how lunk headed it kind of is from time to time. Um, but man, this movie just, it fucking rips it. It moves and it's a lot of fun. And William Marshall's super sexy. I was just going to say he's, he just kills it in this movie. Yeah. Dude. Like I forgot. He's so like, again, like there's the, there's the sexy to scary thing. And when he turns vampire, he's, you know, obviously he transforms. I always like that when the, like, I, that's why I like Bram Stoker's a lot is like all these different forms of Dracula, but specifically William Marshall has the awesome eyebrows and like, uh, just kind of grow into his like sideburns. Um, but he's so like, his voice is just booming. He's ex, he's an ex Shakespeare actor. It's how right. he's trained. And he's got this amazing booming voice. He sounds like black Christopher Lee sometimes. It, very much so. And there's that scene where he first, um, when he's going to be with, uh, his love interest in the present day. Um, but he, he says to her, I think it's so cool. He goes, Basically, I won't force myself on you. If you don't want me here, I'll leave. Yeah. And straight up is not like, he doesn't like hypnotize her or anything. She actually falls in love with him versus it's always weird in the stories where it's like, oh, they're in love. It's like, but he also hypnotized her. So it's not really, it's well, not it's, really how that works. Well, and the Coppola one really walks a weird line weird with line. that one where like Gary Oldman's count sort of hypnotizes her, but then Mina like 
she chooses falls in love with him too and he he really becomes like the tragic romantic hero hero in that story or at least that version of the story maybe more so than any other version that we've seen on screen oh i think so yeah i mean it's the most it's the most like romantic at the forefront yeah um and sexual I mean, and really sexual yeah it's, mm, a, it's a horny so fucking movie horny as fuck. coppola was definitely thinking of some shit he was boning oh yeah he was out there in the streets <laughs> talking to ladies just laying cable just laying pipe <laughs> No garlic breath. You know what I mean? Or maybe he did. It was Coppola. But but it did. Let's get back on track here. Uh, but I to go along with Blackula, like I wrote down a couple movies that like, again, when you start viewing these classic kind of monster archetypes through like the prism, different prisms of like exploitation filmmaking, you have... You know, the Eurosleaze stuff like you brought up earlier, like the Paul Nashi, but I was also thinking of like Jean Rolin with like Lips of Blood, yeah. and Fascination, and like those very drony, ethereal French films. Often, um, often lesbian narratives, too. Often lesbian narratives. And then also, like, again, to bring it back to Jess Franco, like Vampiros Lesbos is yeah. one of the great bits of like Eurosleaze of all time. It's a great movie. And then also, you have, uh, you know, Count Yorga in the 70s in America, which was originally supposed to be a porno Dracula movie and just became a straight movie. And then there was a the sequel uh, as well. And both of those movies are a lot of fun. And then you have Warhol getting in the mix and basically making camp art movies with Paul Morrissey with um, Blood for Dracula and Fresh for F- Flesh for Frankenstein. And those movies are just feel like they're in from a different fucking universe, man. <laughs> Udo Kier doing both Dr. Frankenstein and uh, Dracula. He's like a gay icon, a camp icon, and like maybe my dad. <laughs> those movies, have you, you've seen those movies, I actually right? have not. I they're feel bad. so fucking good, dude. Like, you I know you got the 4K, them. right, for one of them. I have both of them. Cool. I have the, the, the 4K for both... Blood of Dracula from Severin, and then Vinegar Syndrome put out a Flesh for Frankenstein. Well, let's do it. Let's really, do it for really Spooky good. Season around the holiday. Oh yeah, I mean, we gotta revisit because I think you'll watch it. And also, like I think the Flesh for Frankenstein disc, and I have to look again, but it is in 3D too. Ooh. Because like, and it's super gimmicky 3D. Not to spoil anything, but there's a, a moment at the end where Udo Kier has like a giant pipe like shoved through his chest and he's screaming just bloody murder but he's swinging the pipe like clearly at your face where it's supposed to like swing over you and it almost like it looks like a dick like growing Fuck out of yeah. his check chest like these movies are nuts we gotta watch them together chef's kiss and then i mean the other transmutation you kind of have of dracula is like herzog's dracula from 1979 i want to say where klaus kinski is basically reinterpreting the Max Shrek version, the Nosferatu version of, yeah. of Dracula. And it is a pure Herzog movie where this is just weird. a super weird drony symphony of the night that I'm not a fan. Oh, really? Not, I love it. And I love Herzog. But that's just one I cannot hang with. I have wow. always found it a slog. I really like it because yeah. I love, uh, 
I love Kinski's performance. It's as strange as you would think at, at, with, with Kinski under all that makeup and doing his weird Nosferatu thing. Isabella Gianni is like incredibly beautiful. And then uh, Bruno uh, Gans yeah. from all of the, the Vim Vendors movies is um, our Jonathan Harker there. And it's, I don't know, man. I, I like this movie a lot. Well, and then we get to John Badham's. Oh um, yeah. So, what I thought so John Badham's is is seventy nine, um, and so I think he did it right after he did uh, Saturday Night Fever. And what's cool about this movie, I think, is that it is a similar impetus to being it being made to the original Dracula from thirty one. Is that Langella was on Broadway playing Dracula, and it got really famous again. Edward Gorey did all these amazing, crazy, like, hand-drawn sets. Yeah. Um, and then... This is a great-looking movie. And then they went, and they said, okay, let's make another movie, you know? And it, when you, you... I don't think you hadn't seen it, but you texted me when you were watching. It's like, John Williams does the score. It's, it's fucking Walter Mirisch production. It's this huge budget, insanely large sets. Rewatching it, there's sloggy moments in it. It's kind of just doing the thing again. But I love I, the look of it. I don't think so. Like I really vibed with this movie mostly because of Langella's feather hair disco fuck machine take on Dracula. I mean, That's he's probably hot in the this. horniest outside of Gary Oldman. He is like, well, it's one of those things I remember like when I was young, my mom was always like, whenever Frank Lang, well, it was when I saw, um, Master of the universe for the first time. He plays Skeletor basically kind of playing a Dracula like figure. Right. And I remember she was like, who's behind the makeup? Oh, Frank Langella. Like, women at this time lost their minds for Frank Langella. Just fucking waterfalls everywhere. He, but he is like, a sec, he's a sexy man in this movie. And what's cool, though, is he's never scary in this, but there's, there's scary shit. The vampires he makes, like the women with the red, yeah. full red eyes, I think is genuinely freaky. There's some cool shit, too, they do in terms of the set design where... Um, one thing I, don't, I really didn't know is that it takes place um, where where the fuck is uh, Whitby um, near the water, and I think in a lot of productions like it's like well they're just in London, but I guess Whitby is like outside of London, but like near the water, and, and it is like a definitely working man town with like all these miners and shit. So there's a lot of texture to it, and what's cool is the vampires use the mines to get around. And there's that there's a moment they're looking for this woman in her in her coffin. They realize she is basically clawed down into the ground and is living in the mines as this like vampire monster. And they find her. It is freaky. Also, um, Lawrence Olivier plays Van Helsing, and he's doing a thing with that accent. I don't know what it is. It's weird. It's, so we should get into it then, since we're just gonna jump into Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, like. Yeah, Lawrence Olivier is doing a thing, but it feels like he walked so Anthony Hopkins could fucking full-on sprint faster than, like, a Somali 100-yard dash runner <laughs> who's just, like, the the fucking gusto that he does, that he brings to Abraham Van Helsing and Prince Ford Coppola's Dracula is, like, again, beamed in from another dimension, and he truly feels like he's in a different movie from, like, everybody else. Well, he's also, like, just weirdly doing, like, doing Anthony Hopkins in scenes 
where it, it seems like he's just kind of being himself and having fun. But I mean, especially one of the things that, that I like about the Van Helsing beside I me, mean, in addition to his craziness is that he's a mystic that in a lot of versions, he's like this, this hematologist who's going to, he's like, Oh, I, I know. But this one is that he's an occult mystic who literally astral projects in one scene Yeah, to say that there's basically more under heaven and earth you know, boys like he hypnotizes uh, Mina. Mina by the end. I mean, he has no problem decapitating women with without a second thought. <laughs> like he's even just Monica a, Bellucci, even my my baby girl Monica Bellucci, who this might have the hottest versions of Dracula's brides. Uh, when you have Monica Bellucci, down. Monica Bellucci, Florina Kendrick, and then Michelle Burku, man, and then. Maybe the hottest girl in the whole movie, who's not Winona Ryder, um, Sadie Frost's Lucy oh. is like, just again. Well, it he takes all the elements that have been there and he maximizes them. He maximizes them. I said maximal, which is from fucking Rise of the Beast. He maximizes like the elements. So Lucy's always been the kind of like tart. But in this one, she's straight up just like, I want to fuck. And when yeah. she's bitten, she becomes a total, like, nympho. Um, and the scene where she just gets, like, almost banged to death by werewolf uh, Dracula is some crazy shit. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't in the original book. No. <laughs> and, then, and the scene of her and Winona making out in the rain. You're like, yeah. what? Okay. Complete, like, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why Coppola was so horned up during this movie, but we're so better off because of it. Because I mean, between all of that, Winona Ryder being just a straight up sex pot in this oh, movie. Just, I don't think she's been, I think it's her most attractive. I've ever seen her. Um, this and Heather's maybe Heather's. I mean, I'm real into the blonde Winona Ryder from Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Celine. Oh, and her and, um, uh, Age of Innocence. She's oh, also, yeah. This whole time period, we'll just she's say just, Winona Ryder was the shit. Yeah. I mean, for our age group, I mean, like, she was a formative movie star for yeah. us hitting our 40s, you know, and, like. And the other thing I wanted to bring up, too, to, speaking of, like, people who were omnipresent during this time, I totally forgot Carrie Elways was in this. Yeah. As, uh, what is it, Lord Holmwood or whatever. Yeah. And like and Bill Campbell from the Rocketeer, Bill Campbell from the Rocketeer and a very young Richard E. Grant. He's great in this. Who's great as uh, Dr. Seward. But it's like, but Carrie Elways, for, like during this stretch of time, like I was thinking about it to where it was like, you know, Robin Hood, um, Princess, Bride. Princess Bride. But like now here's the other debate outside. Of, speaking of people who are also omnipresent during this time period, Keanu Reeves bad in this movie yeah but honestly i doesn't bother me the movie is so stylized that it just completely washes that clean and i don't think he detracts from the scenes he's in like him in uh, much ado about nothing doing shakespeare he's quite bad like he is he ruins shakespeare dude but you know what at the same time like the avant-garde take on Shakespeare that he does in yeah. um, My Own Private Idaho for Gus Van Zant, 
Like, that's the thing is people single out his performance in Dracula as being this kind of, like, weird sore thumb that sticks out. But, like, at the time, he was doing a lot of almost, like, classically minded, uh, like, cinema and, like, and also stuff where it was being, like, reinterpreted at the same time because you also have um, Dangerous Liaisons, too, oh, right. for Stephen Frears, which he's doing a thing in as well. Like, I guess my, one of the great myths about Keanu Reeves is whether or not he belonged in this type of material or not. It wasn't foreign to him. Like Coppola was right. uh, Coppola's Dracula wasn't just like some one-off thing that yeah. he did. And people were like, Oh look, Keanu's trying to act again. Like he was doing a lot of this. No, that's a good point. I just, he does. It's not a great performance. Again, I don't think it ruins anything of the movie. Um, and also like, Winona is has weak moments in this too, where her accent kind of slips, and they all do. But yeah. it, but again, like to your point, it's so hyper stylized. Like you're just drenched in this world that he and Michael Bauhaus and Roman Coppola, with all of his crazy in, shadow puppet, like shit. shadow puppet puppet in camera effects stuff that he does like that insane fucking story about how Coppola like just kept firing the crews like over and over again and then just hired Roman and was like he's gonna do the effects now and they're like has he ever done this before nah not really he's in his 20s and he also became like second he's credited as second unit fucking director on the movie like that's insane well, because this is the era, too, when he did uh, Godfather 3, when it was a family affair. Like, he was just putting his family, obviously, famously Sophia, as, you know. Well, and that was originally supposed to be Winona. Or Madonna. Those two were Yeah, the, those yep. were the two. Yep. And Winona Ryder got sick, I believe it was, and had to drop out because she was going to be the Corleone daughter. And then he replaced her with Sophia Coppola, quite tragically, we'll all say. Yeah. Um, could you imagine how different I still think it's obviously the the least of the three Godfather films I still enjoy it quite a bit um I like uh Andy uh Andy Garcia yeah, Joey Zaza Zaza no but I mean like I think outside of her like I think the reputation for that movie would be a lot better if you could go back and get Winona Ryder in there mm. As opposed to Sofia Coppola, like so many, kind of like Keanu and Bram Stoker's Dracula, a lot of people point to this one thing as being like this glaring Achilles heel, and I'm like, right, but the rest of the movie still fucking rules. So like, I don't, I don't know, like I can ignore one bad part, or I can compartmentalize one bad part and still enjoy this epic beast of a thing that Coppola trotted oh, out for us yet again. It's it's such an insane movie, and like. I mean, it's talking about, I mean, talking about old men. I mean, old men's so fucking good. And the one of my favorite stories about this film, um, I had that this great. It's the annotated script of the movie, and I got it in like from Half Price Books in like '95, and I've had it forever. Couldn't find it to read through for this podcast, but um, there's some great behind the scenes stories about um, about. Uh, old man and old man was being very kind of method in his like wanting to scare the actors. And this, there's the scene where um, they come in and he's the bat, the bat humanoid. Oh when yeah. He screams at the, the famous direct scene of screaming at oh, God has done, done to me. And he screams at the crucifix and it catches fire, which happens in, in most Dracula stories and films. But before they shot, um, Coppola's uh, old man's like, Hey, can I have a few minutes? And they're like, yeah. 
So they have a, they have this footage of it on one of the Blu-rays, and he walks around to all the actors and just whispers shit in their ear of what he's going to do to them, like in method. He's like, I'm going to fuck your rip your head off and fuck the neck like horrible shit and he's like all right <laughs> he's, like, he's like all right roll it and that's the whole scene of their terror is because literally oldman was just like i'm actually fucking crazy i'm gonna kill your entire family and it's just like but you watch it it's like actually worked because they're all like genuinely freaked out i actually use that in uh restaurant management too <laughs> that's how i keep all of my employees it's like a line. tim heidecker thing to yeah. do oh. do you want to fucking die <laughs> Do you know if that ticket time is above 15 minutes, I'm going to go to your house and fuck your mother in front of you. I'm going to videotape it so it's forever immortalized on VHS. Then I'm going to play it for the whole restaurant. That's the food. (laughs) Jesus Christ. But he, I mean, he's so, like, I love um, all the versions of Dracula in this. I love, like, um, the Mr. Burns outfit. Um, oh my god I, it's just as you said horny, horny Paul Nashy werewolf Dracula oh. who's just boning um, humanoid humanoid gross Batman Dracula is awesome. awesome old man Dracula I think is the one that that's the one I was talking about the yeah, awesome with yeah. the fucking weird like titty hair like hairy palms hairy palms really gross now here's a question I have for you we were talking earlier about how like if you were to ask a kid like, even if they were, like, 10 years old in 2023, be like, what does Dracula sound like? They would probably do the Lugosi voice. I want to suck your blood. Like, they wouldn't imitate yep. Christopher Lee or anything. Do you think the imagery from Coppola's Dracula is so striking and iconic that it eclipsed even some of the previous imagery of like Bella Lugosi and Christopher Lee. Cause I'm not going to lie as a kid who grew up during the nineties. Cause I remember when my cousins went who are a couple years older than me from Pittsburgh went and saw this movie in the theater. And those girls came back and they're like, that movie is just straight pornography. And I was like, I've never wanted to see something more in my life. Thank you. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I was, I think, 10 or 11 when this movie came out in theaters. 92. Like, yeah. yeah, but forever, like, Gary Oldman's weird, like you said, mis- different Mr. Burns-style <laughs> takes on Dracula, like, they became what I, in my head, when you say Dracula, I think of that, but I probably still hear Lugosi's voice. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, it's a good question. I think... For me, probably not. And I love this. I saw it probably around the same age. Um, and I was kind of obsessed with it. I got that book. And I just, I, I loved, it's one of my favorite designed films, like hands down. I think it's one of the best designed. There's fe- nothing fe- that's ever looked like it before. It, it's just this weird dream world. It's like Gilliam-esque in moments. All that insane it's, red armor and the prologue stuff. That shit is that almost like Robert E. Howard, yeah. like sword and sorcery shit. I'm like, and like sword and sandal stuff. I'm like, oh my God, all of the, that's one of the things I noticed too about this film. And a lot of the Dracula films is they're all somewhat fetishistic with their props like that era of brass and wood. I mean, there's, there's a, I think it's um, Van Helsing in Badham's uh, Dracula. Uh, Lawrence Olivier has a fucking magnifying glass where it's an, uh, a fucking deer antler is the handle. Yeah. Or, or the, or the knife, the Bowie knife that uh, Bill Campbell has. These, well, these, these all elements. The, all the design in the Coppola Dracula 
of the the mental institution where oh, Redfield is. With the, the cage heads. With the cage heads. And honestly, Tom Waits' entire fucking thing in Great. this movie. The master! His, like, his metal hands. The, his the, metal hands. Oh, my God. Like what, they don't even explain it. That's the thing about Coppola's take on Dracula that's amazing is there's all of these very textured details that you're just left to wonder about. Like Redfield's mechanical hand where you're like, what the fuck is going on there? Like, or like horny werewolf Dracula. You're like, really? Like what's happening here with that? Or like the other thing that's crazy about this movie is the editing. Like uh, it, the, seems, the weird dissolves yeah, and the leading into one another, like old silent films, those like moments where like the storm rolls in and you see Dracula's eyes, like superimposed yep. in those, like those over, over the clouds. eyes, over the clouds when he's on the train. Oh my God. He's reading the letter. Yeah. He's so fucking in the red, the red sky. All of the, the shadow stuff in the in Dracula's castle oh. when, when it's just him and Jonathan Harker and like you're watching like the shadow like put its its hands around Jonathan's neck while like Dracula's doing the thing. And also like just Oldman's whole fucking performance where like the the mo- one of the most striking images from the movie for me is when Keanu, and this is one of those things we were talking about earlier, is that a story beat that shows up in almost all of the the versions of Dracula that we've talked about is when, you know, Dracula walks in, Jonathan Harker is shaving, cuts himself, Dracula sees the blood and is instantly, like, made ravenous by it. Dude, when the homoerotic way that Oldman takes the razor blade licks the blood turns to the camera yeah like (laughs) just and it's just mugging towards it but then turns back and puts it back to Keanu's neck and everything and it's so like like that shit's just as erotic as any of the the Dracula's brides or Lucy or Mina Harker stuff like like Coppola's just like like this whole movie is like people just want to fuck they want to fuck and kill and drink blood and it's awesome well again he maximizes everything he takes his things these this ex- extravagant degree. Well, and it's literalizing know? the metaphor, right? Yeah. Is that just the there was thing. always because there's that that line that uh, Anthony Hopkins's Van Helsing says is, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but he says civilization, much like civilization, like you can track a. a, a society's advancements through syphilis as well. Yeah, the venereal disease yeah, hit the whole speech. Like, he literalizes the whole idea about how, like, you fuck or you die. You know what I mean? Like, that's what his Dracula does. He has to keep fucking or he's going to expire. Like, it's, it's presented in this, like, romantically heroic way, but it's still just like... And also, when you consider the fact that this movie was released at the, the peak... Of like the AIDS crisis say, in the early '90s, like he denies that that ever really like influenced it at all. But it feels like no coincidence that this massive, culturally shifting, like old style horror blockbuster is all about people fucking and dying and transmitting blood to one another. Like it, it had to at least be in the back of his mind somewhere. Well, it's one of those things. It's like it's a very it's an analogy that any film from the eighties with vampires and nineties is like, what's an AIDS? It's an AIDS narrative. Right. And you know, from the early days of like the hunger to, I think the one that really takes it to the next level is interview with the vampire. 
of it. But, you know, oh, God, Neil yeah. Jordan really leaning into the homosexual side uh, of vampirism, you know, and that and that entire culture. But it's like one of those things where, to your point, it's almost like Coppola is like, I'm going to have a character say it so we can fucking forget about it and get to the movie. Do you know what I mean? Like the subtext is literal. It's like, it's not about that. Let's just get to it. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to watch Dracula. Yeah. Like he's, he's also basically saying like my, my movie is this, like, this is my interpretation is all about the sexuality of Dracula. The, the, uh, wanton kind of cravings whether it be for blood or lust or whatever and it's just like that's what he wants to do and i don't even think there's even subtext in the movie exactly it's just, it's just beating you over the head with it and you either give in to like this movie's very very erotic kind of seductive tone or you're fucked but you, know, you were talking earlier about um, the shadow scene in Castle Dracula, where the shadows are kind of moving differently than than old men. And I kept thinking of George Melies, like it's all this, like you were saying, in camera tricks um, that they were working on, uh, this on set kind of almost like movie magic. And I thought it's so cool the scene where um, they go to the cinematograph. Uh, they're actually watching porn <laughs> of all things. Yeah, but it's he's saying I heard it's the, basically the. Um, the wonder of the modern age and this and, you know, Frankenstein are both these narratives that kind of take place on the cusp, at least the films do on the cusp of the 20th century, right? Idea that an industry is coming in, movies are coming in. And, you know, again, Coppola just puts this all over the surface. You know, he's, he's so fascinated with like the brave new world, but also this man from the ancient world um, kind of mashing up against it. And I just, man, like, I got this on 4K and it just bleeds off the screen. The colors, like the reds, it's just a pretty fucking movie. You can turn it on silent and you're like good to go. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous because it's taking a huge chunk of film history and just throwing it at you. Yeah. Like one scene after another after another. I once saw somebody, apologies to whoever it is out there because I'm stealing your thought, but called as one of the biggest budgeted experimental movies ever made. Totally, yeah. Because it's just, it really is just Coppola being like, I'm going to make the craziest fucking thing that you've ever seen, and frankly, I'm just going to do my Francis Ford Coppola thing, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. Well, it's very of a piece with, like, his other 80s stuff, like one from the heart, yeah. and, like, Cotton Club. This weird fucking shit, right? Him, like... Stagey, period piece. But, but also, like, but movie. Like yeah. you think about, All you said artifice. stagey, you think about, yeah, specifically one from the heart, the idea of like, I'm going to build a whole town. Like he's obsessed with this, like you said, the staginess of movie making. And yeah. it's the process of movie making and putting that on the screen to be witnessed. And this is the height, I think, of that. Oh, 100%. It's just an absolute like stone masterpiece from a guy who's like given us what? Five, five say f- six. There's some that kind of waffle a bit, but there's like five of those are like, on, on well, so Godfather one and two, Godfather two, the conversation, the conversation Apocalypse Now, Duh. Uh, Dracula, yeah, five. I would Th- go those are five. the ones I'm cool being like. There's like no argument. Yeah, people might argue Dracula. The other four, that's just like you know, I don't think anyone's going to touch that. Yeah, just pillars of American cinema <laughs> I mean, right seriously. there, all in one and decade. Also the new Hollywood. 
It's just oh like... Oh, my God. But before we get into questions, let's talk about these two new modern Dracula movies. Yeah. Renfield, which is a colossal piece of shit, and then The Last Voyage of the Demeter... Which I liked, and you think is a colossal piece of shit. Yeah. This was funny. We both... So I saw Renfield when it came out um, in the theater, and I had very low expectations. Um, And I think when I I messaged you after I'd seen it, I said it's basically like Darkman or The Mask. It felt like that kind of early 90s... I kept thinking of Jonah Hex. No, that's that's not fair. Um, <laughs> I actually brought that up with my parents last week. It's one of those movies where I I think I, I forgot about it by the time I got home. Like it literally ran through me like fucking ta- people did. like Taco Bell, and it's like an eighty minute movie, like almost not a movie. Um, that's how Redfield feels to me. It though. didn't. It, fe- it doesn't feel like a movie to that's me. That's interesting. It feels like an idea in search of a movie. It's like and also a, an idea that just makes me cringe, like from head to toe. I just hate this whole like how we have to take these classic ideas or IP or characters or whatever the fuck you want to refer to them as and filter them through the kind of modern language of of therapy and, and trauma and this idea of like, what if, hear me out, we made a movie about Renfield, but it's, with him dealing with Dracula as an abusive boss. And he just really needs to break from this toxic relationship. I could barely just choke that fucking sentence out without wanting to throw up on myself. No. Okay. That's all fucking stupid. You're right. I, for me, the reason I just was like in and, and again, I'm not calling it a a great film, I call it an enjoyable Saturday afternoon. Like you were saying for your, you'll say about the Demeter of uh, Demeter of it kind of being a matinee movie. For me, this reminded me again of seeing like a dark horse movie from like the nineties, like dark horse comics, like the mask Um, or, you know, like barbed wire. These, these comic book films. Those movies were bad. Why are we making those movies? The I, Mask is bad. I know, but Barbed Wire is worse. It is. Oh, Barbed Wire is really bad. Um, but it's that nostalgia for me of just like this, this town. It's New Orleans, but it's not. It's this comic book world. I really enjoyed the uber gore uh, of him just destroying dudes, ripping their arms off. I thought Cage was having a good time. I love the. I love the kind of Cage is the only thing I will say that I enjoyed in this. And I, and to be fair, I'm predisposed to like anything Nick Cage does. And when they were like, they gave me that log line for that movie, and I was like, Ugh. and then I was like, but Nick Cage is Dracula. I can't not watch it. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna. It's it's definitely not a deal breaker where I'm gonna like go to bat. Be like, this is great. I also. I'm not surprised you hated it completely. Um, like, why is Aquafina in this? Movie? Oh, she's bad. I hate her. She's in everything. horrible, dude. She and her trying to play a love interest to him. I'm like, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Like, it's like he might as well have tried to fuck a doorpost or something. Like, it's yeah. just, it's so. There, she she, she is a char- she's a charisma vacuum. Yeah, her her jokes and just like. So why didn't you like? Last Voyage. I'll mount the defense of Last Voyage, but tell me first why you didn't like it. So I, um, this one, I think I had too high expectations. Um, I, w- I, this script's been floating around, what, 15 years? 
Yeah, and, easy. Uh, over a decade. And um, Fincher was attached. Fucking David Slade was attached. Neil Marshall was attached. All these people, I mean, very interesting filmmakers, um, at least for, you know, Fincher, definitely, and then more genre-y guys. Um, I've been I've been waiting for this for years. I've been watching it come and go from IMDb, like, and I'm like, I love, I've always, I think it's a great pitch for a movie. Um, I thought it was such a poorly executed movie. I think Andre Orbidal, same thing when I saw um, Scary Stories, um, that here's a guy who knows how to make a good image, but he can't direct suspense that well. The only one I like is, uh, I do like Jane Doe. Yeah, um, Autopsy of Jane Doe fucking rules. But these more um, set PC action-y stuff, um, one of the reviews I read that I agreed with was that like it feels very repetitive. Um, it's, yes, it, it's it, too long. It's way too long. It also like is not claustrophobic at all. It just has a sense of like, they just keep going. It just felt like it never ended. From a screenwriter perspective, I thought there was some basic generic stuff they could have added to add drama and it just felt like everyone was just kind of there. It felt like a first draft, strangely, after it's been floating around for yeah. so long. I'm like, David Dashmalian is a good guy, but also a bad guy. It's completely, he's completely all over the place, his character. The um, characters are paper thin. They're paper thin and also like contradictory. And again, I'm, I know it's the fucking monster movie, but like I couldn't get away from. I do like Corey Hawkins in it, though. I thought he was good. And I thought some of the performances, but it just, it felt like. The word missed opportunity. The whole thing felt like this could be a badass monster. It could be like Ghost in the Darkness with vampires. Like that era of guns and wood and brass. And it felt fucking lame to me. I don't know. That's fair. Yeah. It's. Here's the thing is that it. It's so handsomely made. I love all the sets. I love the atmosphere. I love the lumpy character actors. Um, I like the whole, as you just put it, like Sunday afternoon, like matinee adventure vibe. All that's cool. I love the idea of like, what if alien, but on a boat with Dracula, which yeah. is really the setup. That's it. Yeah. Here's my biggest beef with the movie. I liked it quite a bit. Like I found it to be a, a, a lazy, enjoyable two hours at the movies. Probably could have been cut to like a hundred minutes. Yeah. And would have been better off for it, but whatever the fuck. Um here's the thing I don't get. It almost wants to be a smart movie, but dumbs itself down in ways that completely fu- don't make any sense. Like the opening title card that tells you you know, it, it sets up the Demeter and then it ends with the sentence, this movie is based on the first <laughs> chapter of Bram Stoker's Dracula. You're like, I, like me personally, I, can, I know, I've watched all the Dracula movies, I know what the last voyage of the Demeter is, but imagine, if you will, if both the marketing and the title card at the beginning didn't tell you Dracula was in it. Imagine if you want, maybe if they even changed the title, just call it The Last Voyage or whatever. And you, as a horror nerd, sit there and you're watching it. You sit down with this movie, you get it. It's called The Last Voyage. They cut all the shit. Because the whole movie was marketed around the whole, like, witness the birth of legendary Dracula. What if they took all that out? What if they just advertised it as almost like Event Horizon, but at sea? 
didn't tell you a fucking vampire was in it. You know it's basically a monster movie at sea or whatever. But, like, you don't know it's Dracula. Imagine you sat down, that title card's removed, all the fanfare and the advertising's taken out, and you're basically like, oh, man, I'm watching, like, the horror movie version of, like, Master and Commander. And you get halfway through... You're like, is this Dracula? And then... Because... Well, because that's the thing, is when... They find the stowaway in last uh, last uh, voyage of the Demeter, and they set up her being like, and his name was Dracula, as like some big reveal. Imagine if that reveal happened and you didn't have any knowledge that the Dracula was in this fucking movie. I think this would have like a huge word of mouth, like, "Yo, you gotta see the big boat vampire weird movie because there's a twist to it." And then all of a sudden it just plays totally different. I think it would be a much more interesting film, but it almost feels like a movie made by smart people that afterwards executives or whoever else were like, people are never going to buy this. We need to tell them there's fucking Dracula in it. We need to ride our IP bullshit and like not just have people discover that the, the vampire or the monster or whatever is, is, you know, Bram Stoker's creation. I just think it would play so much better. And that was the movie I kept seeing in my mind as I watched this too, to where I was like, imagine if they didn't tell us that Dracula's in this. I bet you this movie would fucking rule for a lot of people. Do you know what's interesting though? Um, I, I agree. Um, when I went to see it, I was talking to, uh, I was at Alamo and I was talking to my server and I, I recognized him from when I was at Indiana Jones. We were just chatting a little bit. I said, Oh, how is this? Have you seen it yet? He goes, he goes, it looks really cool. I've been kind of, I've been serving. Sorry, you know, can't pay attention. But, um, he goes, I'll tell you, man, he's like, no one's fucking seeing it. And he goes, I think the problem is no one knows the Dracula movie. And weirdly there wasn't a lot of good commercial and stuff. Like, it, so it's uh, the other the flip side of that is no one saw it they didn't even know it was a Dracula movie so it's yeah, kind of nobody like wanted to it, see this it's definitely movie. a catch 22 right where it's like it's so weirdly advertised um and I your point about it being a mix of smart and really fucking stupid because like you said it wants to have the elevated nature of like master and commander which is a really like perfectly made film about what it's actually like to work a boat like that. Like, yeah, we are spent months training these guys to actually run the boat. This feels like a very dumbed down version of that, where it wants to have the classy atmosphere. This is the B movie version. Exactly. But it's still fine with. Yeah. I just don't, I I just thought even as a B movie, this could have been such a tight, a tight, actual good. Oh, sure. You know, this was 95 minutes. Yeah, and it took all the Dracula shit out. Kind of played that as like a, as like a reveal, as opposed to like the main hook. Like it was better and, drawn characters, just like not even like backstory, slightly. but just like where they fall in terms of each other. Because the other and, thing and is, conflict. this movie's like crazy mean spirited. Like kids fucking die in yep. it. A dog gets butchered in it. Everybody, you know, pretty much going in that everybody's gonna die, yeah. and like all the other Dracula movies, the captain of the Demeter is gonna be tied to the fucking, you know, ship's wheel yeah. with, like, two bite marks in his neck. Like, you know that's how, it, that's how it's going to end if you're familiar with the story. But, like, my cousin Eddie out in Iowa or wherever the fuck, like, if he went and just bought this movie on streaming on iTunes after it came out today, didn't know it was a Dracula movie, and all of a sudden they reveal without all that other shit, I bet you he'd be calling me right now being like, 
bro, did you see the Big Boat Vampire movie? It's fucking cool. I think you'd like it. <laughs> I don't know. I just th- I think there's a lot of potential there. Is it a perfect movie? No, but I did have fun with it. Way more fun than fucking Renfield, which made me want to hang myself. <laughs> it just it lost me early on, and I couldn't get back on it. it. It also looked cheap in the wrong ways. Like, the water stuff just looked like ass. And see, I didn't think it looked that bad. No, nah, I just didn't. It didn't click for me, and and I wanted to like it so badly too. And it's one of those films like once you kind of get off the rhythm with it, you're like, I'm done. Like I couldn't, well, I couldn't get back on it. It is 100 percent just a vibe movie. Yeah, like you either groove with it or you don't. And yeah, if you're thrown off right away, like there's no getting back with yeah. it. Yeah, and I love a good period piece horror film. Like I love that shit. But yeah, want to get to questions? Let's do it. All right. Five, four, three, two. And we're back with questions about 1992's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Martin, I'm going to change it up a little bit. Okay. Top three Draculas, like dudes who played Dracula. Ooh. Go. Um, oh, fuck, man. I fucked you up. I'll say... I fucked you up. I'll say Lugosi. Just classic. Um, I love that. I love that era. And I just think he's... He's a movie star in that sense. Like, he's not the, the actor that some of the other guys are, but just, like, he is such a silent, almost, movie star. Yeah. Just his face just carries so much. I think he's freaky. Um, and then... I would say Christopher Lee... Um, and I'd probably do old men, I think for number three, um, it's tough. I would put Langella near the top as well. Um, yeah, I, I think quite he's like really Langella's. great. 
Um, he's he's really sultry. Besides being sexy, he's very like the sense of menace that underneath everything he says is like he balances it really well. Um, it's a pretty layered performance. Um, so yeah, that's my answer. I would go Gary Oldman as my number one. Wow, like I just I think he does so much weird fucking shit with that character that you had never seen before. And again, like when you say Dracula to me, his Dracula is the first thing I think of. I don't know if it's a generational thing mm. or if I just love the performance that much, or maybe a mix, a mix of both a bit, but it's just rewatching that movie this time for probably like the 20th time. I was like, Oh, that's right. He's one of the great movie villains like ever. He's just so fucking good. And he, the fact that he's able to, own the character in a way after we've gotten so many iconic performances as Dracula kind of speaks to the power of his performance itself is that it's just like he walked in and he was like, this is something totally different. This is not Bela Lugosi. It's not Christopher Lee. It's not, you know, anybody. Oh, yeah. It's just, this is my Dracula. Now, granted a lot of the makeup effects and the costuming and everything do a bunch of the heavy lifting for him. But he's also doing a thing with each one, like the weird voices and the sexuality when you get to, to London and the creature design that he's doing. It's just like he's working underneath like pounds of latex a lot of the time. He's fucking awesome. Something about, like you were saying, his his accent too, that he does. Um, he, he does these weird like little affectations that just to make it harder to understand what he's saying, he's like, yeah. you'd speak as if you've been to my country for a second. Yeah. You know, and he just like, he's doing almost like a Brando thing. Yeah. He purposely like Mars it. So you can't hear. Yeah. Where it makes like, you work to listen. Well, like you were, they talked about, you know, Brando famously putting cotton balls mm -hmm. in his cheeks for the Godfather. Like he's just such an actor's actor that Oldman's like, I'm going to layer it all on baby. Yeah, and you're either going to love this or you're going to fucking hate it. Uh, Christopher Lee's my number two. I just think he's like the animalistic Dracula is yeah. like one of my favorite things. And also I just like those movies for a lot of the reasons that we laid out, especially the later ones as hammer films was kind of running out of gas and it was clear. They only had like Christopher Lee for like three days of shooting, but they just made a totally different weird Gothic horror movie. And Dracula just happened to like yep. be in it. Like those movies are a lot of fun and I like them a lot. They're just, they're great zone out, especially oh. like fall time movies where like, you don't want to think too. We hard. could talk the whole time. If we, yeah, want. we can bullshit yeah. <laughs> about it, but like the, the images are so striking and some of the performances are so weird and they're populated with all these hot women and, and great, like kind of lumpy English character actors that they're kind of hard to deny. Like I hated them when I was a kid, but as an adult now, I'm just like, they're almost like comfort food at this point. I remember the first time I saw horror of Dracula, it was uh, spring break, uh, high school and no, no, not, it was fall break. So we had a four day weekend. And I remember it was, um, like Thursday morning. My dad's like, hell, we're eating some movies Wednesday night. I had never seen it. And I woke up first thing on my day off and put it in. I'm in the TV room and I'm like, fuck. Like I was so in, you know, I was, I was like, that's first thing. This is the first hammer film I think I ever saw. And I was just like, yeah, I wanted to see everything. They're so that. much fun. Yeah. I also loved um, Dracula AD 1972, which we didn't mention. Oh my God. That movie rules. That and Scars of Dracula, the like weird modern things. But again, were they like, 
like Dracula 80, 1972, like is when it transports him to basically 72 through like time travel and shit, right? He, I think he just comes back from the dead. Or is um, that but, it? But it's, but it's like very mod London. Yeah. Which is super cool. When it's like um, Scars yeah. of Dracula feels like a low budget, almost like James Bond ripoff that again, Dracula just happens to be in. Yep. Like it's really fun. It's almost like the geezer teasers in yeah, a way exactly. where it's like, we're going to get you in, but we're going to make a different movie where he's barely there. Yeah. Um, number three for me, I'm not going to tell you that this is my third favorite Dracula, but it, I wanted to use this slot as a way to talk about a Dracula we haven't really discussed yet. And that's Duncan Reger. 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 Yeah. Okay. From the monster squad, 1987, the Shane black, um, Fred Decker collaboration meeting a judge. Um, I love him because he's almost like if Hans Gruber was Dracula, like that movie is so like, I rewatched it again today for the first time in a long time. And I'd forgotten how much Shane Black is in it. Like between like the burnt out cop dad and the way the kids talk, Mary Ellen trainer. Who's like the, Mm. I still love you, but like I'm over it. Wife, the black partner, the way that Dracula is basically just like Dracula is no different than like one of the big bads in one of the later oh. like Shane Black movies, like um, Mr. Joshua and Lethal I was Weapon, say Gary which the same year. Um, the Craig Bierko character from Long Kiss Goodnight. What's his um, name from uh... Matt Bomer in, in The Nice Guys much later when he's John Boy, the dude with like the big mole I on love his face. Him. But like he's just turned Dracula into the villain and like into like a big like kind of overarching like 80s bad guy and the kids have to take him on and he has his henchmen like dude um john grease's uh wolfman oh he's great he's so fucking good and the makeup's so fucking good she knows what it's based on no it's stan winston's face so oh. it was his, his, his studios and all his, his underlings were like, let's make it look like Stan. So it's literally a tribute to Stan because he's got those weird eyes. Dude. Kind of, yep. And there Gr- are like makeup effects in this, like the transformation, the, when the fucking Wolfman's blown up with dynamite is like lit and then reforms is like legit gross. You watch it and you're like, man, this movie was PG 13. And then like when Dracula blows up and goes through the window and they, he, the cop finds him, he's just this like half bat, hairy half like human thing it's really gnarly he grabs a little girl he's like give me the amulet you bitch yeah like Like, he's like this dracula's fucked up he kills the partner like he just blows him up with dynamite uh the creature from the black lagoon is like one of my favorite design i love that i love him so much like i this movie so the monster squad is one of those movies that like I loved growing up. I saw it a million times on VHS Me when too. I was a kid. All the time. And then it disappeared. Like, kind of infamously mm-hmm. disappeared because it didn't really make the jump to DVD. There was some right stuff going on with it. And then Lionsgate put it out in, like, 2006 or 2007 on DVD for yep. the first time. They had thought it was a lost movie for, like, a little while. But I, in the I meantime, bought that edition. Yeah, it, the me too. Like out. the day it came I, out, I went to Walmart. I drove from my <laughs> shitty ass fucking office job, went straight to Walmart, yep. bought it on break, and came back. And I watched it that night. And it was one of the movies because it was weird. 
with the gap in between watching it on VHS a bunch as a kid and then seeing it as a you know early 20-something adult. I'm going to say I'm like 22 or whenever it finally comes out on DVD. In between, it kind of garnered this hardcore fan base and reputation. The Wolfman's got nards. Like, yeah. Wolfman's got nards. Like chud.com message board types. I like, yeah. loved it because I remember counting down the days because I would hang out on the chud message boards and like they would talk about when DVDs and stuff were coming out. But then the movie comes out on DVD and it gets this whole second life, but it's sort of embraced by like the worst horror fans ever. The very fanboy, let's quote everything. Goonies is the best movie of all time. Like real basic bitch shit. Yeah. And that turned me off. Ghostbusters t-shirt. Yeah. Ghostbusters t-shirt wearing motherfuckers. And like that turned me off from the movie for a long time. And I, I hate that because it's not a valid criticism against yeah. the film itself. It's just the fans. It's like fight suck. club. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Fight yeah. club is a, is a perfect example of a, another kind of cult movie that has that sort of fandom that turns you off to it for a while. But man, revisiting it today, I was like, this movie is like 76 minutes without credits. It fucking rips. There's that amazing montage where they're oh. making all the weapons and stuff set to that 80s song. Um, rock rock until you drop. Yeah, rock until you drop. And the the kids fucking rule in it. There's a bit more homophobia in it than I would have liked revisiting it, but you know, that was just the time period. And frankly, that's also just Shane Black. Yeah. Like his his shitty sense of humor, especially in the eighties. But like I still prefer Night of the Creeps. As the in terms of my Fred Decker movies, but like this movie rips pretty hard still, and like honestly, uh, the 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 Dracula is a big part of it because it it's just again the same way that like seventies exploitation movies were filtering Dracula through like the different subgenres and stuff and finding new ways to play with it. This just feels like Dracula and the Universal monsters being filtered through the language of eighties action cinema, and you get like. A little 80 minute gem of a movie uh one little connection to the film um they had the documentary wolfman's got nards right and uh my short film opened before it at the monster fest in australia oh yeah we were the opening opening short and i was like that was pretty cool you know um i think andre like goyer and those guys were there and stuff so i was like that's you know i was like pretty excited because that movie was really important to me when i was little as well um it was scary when you're a kid too like the mummy scared the shit out of me when the I was mummy little. was scary mummy came the mummy wolf came man in my was room. legit scary yeah uh double feature with bram stoker's dracula go um so kind of a weird one um brotherhood of the wolf is what i would do i think that that similar like if you look at the way that film is made it's really trippy as yeah. well. And there's a lot of like similar tricks that they do with some weird camera movements. It looks very and hot Monica Bellucci. And another yeah, hot Monica Bellucci. Also a kind of an an action, you know, uh muzzle muzzle loaders versus monsters. Crazy um, costume design. Yeah, it, also a very crazy world with with you know, people with furs on and crazy outfits, very like Barry Lyndon that turns into like Last of the Mohicans kind of badass action. I also just love that fucking movie. So, how about you? The Hunger. Ooh. Tony Scott's first film that stars David Bowie, Susan Sarandon, uh, Catherine Deneuve. Um, it's, is, not, it's not a horny movie at all, though. It's the. Yeah, it, not, not <laughs> horny in the least bit. Um, 
has that entire like ball house or Bauhaus yep. uh, beginning with Bella Lugosi's dead um, is really exploring and filtering the Dracula mythos through this almost like art movie aesthetic that's very similar to Coppola's while completely belonging to Tony Scott, even as his first like true like feature. Um, it's just an incredible movie. I saw it, I think it was last year at the exhumed uh, 24 hour horathon on 35 millimeter. And it's just uh, on the big screen. It's, it's absolutely deafening and, and captivating and kind of uncomfortable to watch with strangers, especially once you get to all the, the lesbian sex scene stuff. And, but yeah, very, very, very horny in the same way that Coppola's was. And I think at this point, sort of underseen, by a lot of people. I don't mm. know many... Like, you, you talk to the heads and they know what the hunger is. But, like, I think outside of, like, that, like, the hardcore, like... Like, a lot of normal people would know Bram Stoker's Dracula. But I doubt if I said the hunger to them that they would know what the fuck I was talking about. So I'd love to, to show that to more people. Man, I hadn't seen it since we did the Tony Scott episode. Yeah. And I loved it. It's so good. It's just fucking badass. Um, Dick Smith did the makeup too for the aging, right? Of of uh, David Bowie, that scene where he's sitting there. Oh god, it's so fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, incredible movie. Um, so the next question is a little tough because it's remake series, different idea for adapting adapting Dracula. Um. We, we've kind of had every version of this because one of the, the ones that we haven't even talked about is that like we watched Dan Curtis's Dracula together. That was kind of during the time when like he was making Dark Shadows yep. and was really applying the must stories kind of uh, kind of sensibility yeah. to like these masterpiece theater like American equivalents, let's say. Because he did Dracula, uh, Frankenstein. Frankenstein with Bo Svensson. Bo Svensson, yeah. Um, you know, Dracula with Jack Palance, um, the the mirror of Dorian, no, portrait of Dorian Gray. Yeah, and then he did Turn of the Screw. Turn of the Screw. So there was quite a few. Um, his is kind of boring. Yeah, it's very cheap. Yeah, and, I'll, and Palance wasn't great. But there's a perfect example of like how these movies have changed throughout time is that you have, you know, the old silent Nosferatu, you have the... You know, 1931 Tao Browning movie. You have, um, you know, the Monster Squad being like the 80s action movie version of it. You have Coppola's insane, like, maximalist, like, 1990s sex panic drama, melodrama, whatever the fuck you want to call yeah, it. Opera. Phantasmagoria. <laughs> um, so, I, and then, I mean, even now you have, like, you know, the, the uh, Sherlock guys did their own version of Dracula for, for the BBC and yeah, Netflix. Yeah. That's terrible. Oh, I didn't even it watch was, it. It was that bad. It was, it was uh, Klaus Bang was, it was Count Dracula. Yeah. And it's just, it's Stephen, yeah, Stephen Moffat and them. And it's, it's Klaus banging his way through Transylvania. I'll tell you that much. It was just very, the wrong decisions left and right. About okay. Trying to kind of, you know, it's not in the modern age, they modernize it thematically and it's just shit. Um, one show I did like, I did kind of like was the, uh, Jonathan Rice Myers, it was NBC one or two Oh yeah. Seasons. I'd never seen this one. Just really like bare bones, 
almost CW-esque kind of action adventure with Dracula. Um, similar, but they put some money into it, kind of same era. And one of my favorite um, kind of takes on Universal Horror is easily Penny Dreadful, which was on Showtime. And that's all leading to Dracula. He's the big bad that kind of runs through the background oh, okay. of all three. Well, it's like you even had that shitty Stephen Summers Van Helsing movie, Woo. too, where they try to make Van Helsing like his own hero. Because that's Hugh Jackman, yeah. right? That movie's Bad rough. Film. Not good. That's Stephen Summers probably at his worst. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. That's it's worse than G.I. Joe. It's, oh, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. G.I. Joe's at least watchable. Oh, very watchable, yeah. Van Helsing, not so much. Yeah, and I like the first month. Like Mummy Returns a lot, too. But, yeah, yeah, a lot the, of fun. Act, the set pieces are really good, but yeah, the the ass CGI of 04. So what do you think we could do with Dracula next? What would be the next version of Dracula that we haven't seen yet? Oh, man. I mean, not TV, because I don't think we. I don't think it needs to be drawn out anymore. I don't want to see a prestige TV show about it. Um, I also don't want to see, I don't want to see, um, I guess maybe one way would actually be like another person like Coppola who just has this crazy idea. You want to hear my pitch for it? What's up? And this is, I was high while watching <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula, but during the whole like lesbian scene with Mina and Lucy where they're like running through the rain and making out and blah, blah, blah. I did think about like what would Sophia Coppola's Mina Harker movie look yeah. like? Like what if you told all of Dracula through the lens of like this female friendship when like this guy comes in and basically separates them and you do like the ethereal probably synth pop scored like Sophia Coppola version of that. I would sit through that. It kind of reminds me of you ever see Mary Riley? Yeah, same like, idea. Yeah, of just like the which actually I kind of don't dislike. Wasn't that movie. bad. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool idea. Um, well, I mean, it's it's honestly not far off thematically and like stylistically, yes, but like Renfield also like what if we took another tack of the story of of one of the characters, right? But the it, version it, I just pitched wasn't stupid. I know, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that's that's a way to handle it. It is. I mean, what's kind of interesting about Dracula is that like even people who maybe have never seen even one film, know the basic story of Dracula, know what he looks like, know like the rules of, of vampirism. It was kind of established by the, the movies of, you know, silver and sunlight and garlic and crosses and stakes to the heart. Um, it is, you know, we still got Count Chocula. He's still this like super, super like um, kind of, sorry. Lost my you said Count Chocula? I was gonna say, like, we have Count Chocula, who's basically Count Dracula. He's basically but with chocolate, but with chocolate. But you know the the cereal, Booberry, um, Booberry, uh, Frankenberry, Frankenberry. And then there's a new one. There's Frankenberry's the best one. There's a female now, a new one. Yeah, it's like like something ghoul. Um, I bet you she's horrible looking. She looks pretty cool. Yeah, she's like hipster hipster horror. Yeah, um, much like the Ghostbusters, keep your ladies out of my cereal. <laughs> Let's not go down that road. Um, so the, that fandom I was talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't. I don't. Yeah, it's one of those things that I don't know if we need anything right now. You know, it's cool. We got it's, sure. It's cool that we got. Even though we disagreed about um, Last Voyage of the Demeter and Renfields, we have two universal horror films. You know, um, that are very different, regardless of what you prefer. 
Um, you know, we also forgot Dracula Untold, where they tried to launch the Dark Universe. Yeah. Um, or which, Tom Cruise's The Mummy. Wasn't Javier Bardem going to be Dracula, or was he Frankenstein? He was going to be Frankenstein's monster, and then... Um, uh, what a time to be alive. Russell Crowe was already um, Mr. Hyde, and he was that in the movie, The Mummy. They kind of tried to start. Oh, that's right. And then uh, Johnny Depp was Invisible Man. Yeah. That was the... You know what? On In hindsight... Outside of the Javier Bardem Frankenstein, I'm glad none of that happened. I think we're I think we're all right. So we may still get. Um, supposedly, we are going to get the uh, Ryan Gosling werewolf uh, Wolfman. Yeah, because Derek Cianfrance. It was originally Lee Wanell was going to do his follow up yeah. to Invisible Man, and then Derek Cianfrance is going to do it supposedly, which I'm definitely interested in. Yeah, sure. Why yeah. not? Is wait is Gosling the Wolfman? Yeah, that's why. Oh, that's fuck my, yeah! That's I'll my watch under- the shit out of that. Yeah, yeah. So final question. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Face melter? Yay. Nay? Yay. Oh, fuck yeah. yeah like, it's a, there's an easy is... yay. It, especially if someone had never heard of it. Can you imagine showing this, like, blind to somebody? And like, I kind of like monster Dracula stuff. It's like, well, get fucking ready for this. Yeah. This shit's about to just take your eyeballs and peel them off. Yeah. So that it's you a can movie. never think of another movie again. Like, it's just, it's so fucking good. Yeah. I'm glad we, you know, completely agree on that. We may not agree on a few other Dracula films, but... No. This one, though, it's just an all-timer. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing ever like it before or since. Um, you know, Coppola... His last great... Absolute madman. Yeah. Yeah, last great movie um, before... Well, unless we're counting Jack. Yeah, and of course, The Rainmaker. <laughs> what? The Rainmaker's good. It's fine. It's just a standard John Grisham movie. Yeah. There's nothing really Coppola-ish about it. That's the thing about it, that it's just... Total work for hire. Yeah, but it it's still pretty fucking good. Well, Martin, this has been great. We did the whole history of our man Dracula, and I don't think we missed anything. Do you? I mean, it's probably... <laughs> there's so there's so many. When you said every Dracula film, there's like every 500. Yeah. We watched all of them. Oh, my God. Yeah, I could go on Tubi and watch all the other ones too. They were made for like a dollar, but um, I'm excited, man! Spooky season's upon us. I it's you know, I think our favorite time of the year. Oh, 100. percent We don't actually know what's next for you guys, so you're just gonna have to stay tuned and see what comes up on Secret Handshake. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>